The following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to advance the Lordship of Christ, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. For a second, please. We're in a cultural war, a cultural war. How do you think you are talking to me like that? I resent the fact that your implication that only you are a Canadian. The culture war is back, 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 back. back. All right, the culture war is on, as it is every Tuesday at this time. Joining us yet again, Dr. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel here in Toronto. Scott, good morning. Morning, John. And Justin Trotje, spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. Good morning to you, Justin. Good morning to both of you. All right. Well, where do we start? Let's start with a story that's sort of lingering from my discussion just moments ago with uh, our business analyst, Lou Skeezes. And earlier this morning, our hit on Global uh, News, their morning show, actually, with Liza Fromer. Uh, the Ontario Teachers' Pension Plan is uh, actually lending its not insignificant weight. It's got uh, a lot of market clout uh, to the idea that when it comes to companies and corporations, there should be more women uh, represented in the boardrooms. In fact, they say a minimum of three. And uh, to that end, they also believe by the year 2020, if uh, it doesn't reflect that change in demographic, uh, these companies should be delisted from the Toronto Stock Exchange. They've actually petitioned the Ontario uh, Security Commission to uh, explore that avenue. I mean, it sounds somewhat draconian, but they believe it's necessary. Scott Masson, what is this? Is this social engineering, or is it about time boardrooms reflected the broader society? Well, I don't mind if uh, people believe that more women ought to be on boards, and I have no objection to that whatsoever. But I think that is within the uh, remit of the boards themselves, what, how they're going to govern themselves and who ought to be on their boards. And it seems to me to be a little bit much for them to have the opinion that there should be more members, fine. To suggest that they ought to be delisted from the stock exchange is just plain ludicrous, quite frankly. Yeah. Justin, do you think it makes sense mm-hmm. to? I mean, they're not insignificant. $131 billion in assets, and this is the kind of stuff they're throwing their uh, financial weight around. Do you think there's some something of merit to their proposal? There seems to be a big debate these days about how to increase the representation of uh, uh, women or other groups that tend not to be <coughs> Uh, well represented on, in this case, boards of directors. This was a proposal made by at least one of the candidates for leadership of the Liberal Party of Canada um, back during the the, uh, leadership debates. Mm. Um, And I'm a little bit ambivalent. I mean, I understand the concern. There definitely is a problem. I'm not sure this gets the root of the problem. I think if we want to, over the long haul, increase the representation of women on boards um, or of women or men in areas where they are underrepresented, then I think we have to understand why choices which women or men make lead them to gravitate uh, more in certain uh, professional directions and uh, what can be done through education and social outreach to, again, over time, um, uh, look to balance those kinds of inequalities. But this seems like mm. a Band-Aid solution that will gloss over the real fundamental well, not issues. Well, not just that, Justin. I mean, the point here is that... <laughs> Look, if if women being on a board is a good thing, then the reason presumably is because women's issues are going to be better represented by the companies themselves. Well, for, so for the companies who are there to make money, it's presumably in their best interest to appeal to a broader constituency. Well, then they're going to want to do that and bring women or whoever is on board to reach those people. To mm-hmm. coerce them into it suggests that there's another motive there, and it's at odds with, uh, with their actual bottom line of 
of uh, running a good business. So it seems to me just a, it's really silly. I mean, it shows how detached the teachers' unions are from reality on these things, quite frankly. I think there's a few flaws with it, certainly. First of all, I think it's just inherently discriminatory because you would effectively be hiring or appointing somebody to positions not based on their merit but simply because of the, the demographic attributes they happen to, to hold. The other problem, though, uh, and I think the, the more troubling one, is that it assumes that if a woman comes onto a board, she's there as a woman. She's yeah, there to represent women. It's patronizing. Uh, it's very patronizing. Um, it, it doesn't treat people as complicated uh, entities. It treats them as simply there to stand in for their gender or their race or their... Well, so it is social engineering. Of course it is. Having said that, I mean, the education profession and, and numerous others have precisely these same policies of po- what they call yes. positive <laughs> discrimination. Well, it's positive because they agree with it, of discrimination. Discrimination and, and quotas and so forth, and their hiring policies and their uh, all around the board. So the question is, do you agree with that? Then do you agree with with quotas for hiring in universities and other places like that. Where do you stand on that no, issue? No, I, I don't actually. You don't. You <laughs> I'm not don't sure agree we're going to have much it. to debate on this because I I definitely come down strongly in favor of treating people as individuals, not as members of a group. Uh, and I think that th- this is a rather dangerous direction we're going in. It's also kind of um, kind of selective. We seem to only look at certain uh, professions or certain areas of society where particular groups that we want to favor for special treatment and privileges are seen as disadvantaged, and we, we don't look at other areas. For example, uh, we want to have these kinds of affirmative action-style quota programs to bring more women into engineering. And I agree, there's a problem. Women are definitely underrepresented in engineering. But the degree to which men are underrepresented, the degree to which men are underrepresented in, say, early childhood education, is just as asymmetrical. All right, you know what? And I we don't look use, at those. There Justin, I'm glad you brought it up. It dovetails nicely with something else I wanted to introduce to the discussion. I think Scott, you were leading in that direction as well. There's an American professor specializing in studying the psychology of boys and men, masculinity and manhood, and uh, it says here he's making the case for creating men's centers on college campuses or universities. Uh, Miles Groth is an advisory fellow for the Canadian Association for Equality, CAFE for short, uh, which is working to raise funds to create the Canadian Center for men's for Men and Families. Now, what he says is there are not enough men's courses, if there are any, on college and university campuses. And in fact, uh, there are a whole lot of issues confronting men. And these courses, because we know there have been like uh, studies in uh, feminism or, uh, you know, certain uh, female-oriented studies and and whole courses and classes in the curriculum at post-secondary institutions, is it time that men also uh, got their due as far as that was concerned, uh, men claiming that they've been victimized by feminism low all these years, and now they'd like to redress that imbalance and believe uh, they're due as well for men's study groups on college and university campuses. Scott, what do you say? Well, what we have, I, I say, first of all, that to some extent that what they're pointing to is a real problem. There is a, a, a definite anti-male, uh, anti-patriarchal, anti-white atmosphere in many universities. What we have developed I- increasingly since the 1980s, when these theories, these anti-humanist theories came into place, a group interest politics that has intruded into academia and has created effectively anti-university uh, departments that really the, a university assumes the unity of all knowledge. 
these specialist subjects assume that there is an enmity and a, spe- a specific type of knowledge that only particular people have access to and only a woman can understand women's issues, etc. goes against the whole spirit of a university. In 1884, Harvard University had a curriculum which was entirely obligatory. Everyone had to do exactly the same courses because there was an assumption that everyone needed to know certain things in order to be well-educated. Nowadays, it's a shopping cart mentality of depending on your background, your orientation, whatever, uh, you're going to take this study and you're going to come away with what we call a university degree, which has no longer got actually the quality or standard of a university degree. It's a serious problem. Now, the men are at the bottom of this caste system of, of, of oppression because they're the oppressors. And so they're, they're being bas- basically victimized by those who are the most, in their own words, the most victimized. So it really has run entirely against the spirit of education. And for that reason, I think that the public university system needs to be scrutinized by the public and I think it should be defunded myself. Well, all right, but are you arguing then in favor of uh, men's study courses and groups and such? Or are you saying... Uh, no, like- I just think it's another cut. It's death by a thousand cuts. Let's add another cut. No, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, I, think it's, I think it's a ludicrous idea, but I think women's studies is a ludicrous idea. All right, you but- don't write, write a wrong with another wrong. Well, the men are arguing if they're... So well entrenched now, uh, try uh, taking that away from the, you know, the women's study and, you know, the whole notion of uh, the feminist ethos that's inculcated college and university campuses. Men want uh, some uh, their own representation. Now, Justin Trottier, is that a fair thing to ask? Well, I, I think let's let's be clear about what's being asked here. We're talking about broadening a debate that's already happening on campus, a debate about gender, about femininity, about about uh, 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 masculinity. That debate, whether in gender studies departments, which tend to be called women's and gender studies departments, or at events hosted by student governments or, or student groups, tend to be dominated overwhelmingly by particular ideological commitments. We both agree what, on that. What, what these groups are, are asking for is that that debate be broadened. Uh, not necessarily that there be this this animosity between men and women or between so-called men's rights activists and feminists, just if we're going to be talking about these charged issues of, of gender. And there are really pivotal issues about uh, workplace um, at, policies, about legal biases. Yeah, but these are trivia. One or the, the, other the point gender, is in order to have a debate. Then let's have these multiple perspectives allowed. Right, but the point is in order to have a debate, you have to have a common ground that you agree to. You have to have uh, notions of rationality. You have to have uh, def- understandings of what beauty and goodness and truth is, what morality is and so forth. If you don't agree on those things, you can't actually even have a debate. My point here is that women's studies groups don't have any, they have a sense of these things that is totally at odds with the whole humanities tradition that has gone back for All right, hold that thought for a second, Scott, because it says men are feeling less welcome on many of these campuses, and now they want to address that with their own study groups and courses, and uh, that needs to be introduced, they say. Is their claim a valid one? All right, let's get back into it. A heady discussion where we've got an American professor, a guy in New York City. is uh, He's actually focused on creating men's centers on college and university campuses, saying mm-hmm. men are now made to feel like second-class citizens on campuses because of strident feminism that has subverted uh, these campuses, indoctrinated or inculcated them with a value system that's uh, geared towards uh, feminism at the expense of men. That's the argument, at the expense of men. So the question is, uh, has he got a valid point? And is there a need for male-oriented study groups or even courses 
on college or university campuses. With our two culture warriors, Dr. Scott Masson and Justin Trotje, let's start taking some calls. Michael in Mississauga, what do you say? Good morning. Uh, I just want to know what school these guys went to because I went to Ryerson undergrad, Waterloo uh, Masters, UFT, PhD, I'm starting, and I don't see none of this stuff that they're talking about on the radio about women um, now or any women feminist um, types of studies killing men's attitudes in school. Everything is just, if, they, if they're going to have male schools, they should just be teaching how men to be real men because women, all this women stuff, blah, 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 is, is fake. It's not real. I don't see it. Well, I guess they give us, as an example, uh, at the uh, orientation, uh, first-year students have to attend date rape seminars where they're told they're, they're, they harbor dangerous impulses that must be controlled, and uh, they're made to feel like uh, you know they're the victimizers and uh, that women are always the victims. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. Uh, I went to one of these. No, they don't, they don't make it seem like that. And it is a problem. Like a lot of kids, like new kids coming into school right now from high school, they're in that. Uh, hip hop mentality of deep rape, um, med, um, what do you call it, drinks and all that stuff just to get the girls on there, the, um, just to have relations with the girls, right? These things are real problems, and I don't see what these guys are talking about on the radio. Well, I'll tell you what, what, what some of these groups are talking about. I mean, you've had a particular experience at university, um, but it might not be necessarily the only kind of experience people might have. If you were to be an, a, a male student going to, say, uh, women's studies courses, and uh, the only treatment of men and masculinities at many liberal arts universities is in women's studies departments, where there's a particular uh, feminist ideological commitment that if you're not on board with, you are not likely to progress very far. What these groups are suggesting is if we're going to be talking about gender issues on campus, within the academic departments or within extracurricular events, let's make sure that all views are allowed. Right now, if you want to run a group that looks at gender issues, but it's not from a feminist perspective, you're actually banned from starting a campus club. The Canadian can I, Federation can of Students well, has banned what, what, what those what did student actually groups. Study? That's, a, that's a problem with academic freedom and free speech. Uh, the caller is, uh, he's left, but okay. let's just uh, continue on with more calls in this matter of whether or not, and uh, Justin, that's an interesting perspective, that because uh, if you're going to take gender studies or whatever, it's going to be from the feminist perspective, the men's r- rights groups and advocates are saying it's time we had equal representation. Mm. Are they wrong to do that? Mm. And uh, some mm. of the feminists, like the associate prof and chair in the Department of Women's Studies at the University of Victoria, says this is all political. Uh, she's got nothing against this, but she questions the politics behind it. Says, I think oh, there's been a lot of work done by men who align themselves with feminism that have been doing the kinds of work that feminism has been doing for many years and become allies of the movement or actively calling themselves feminists. In some segments of the men's movement, it's definitely a backlash against feminism as if feminism has created a context where something has been taken away from men. Well, men do see it as kind of a zero-sum game. They no, do, but I, I mean, this uh, this feminist studies professor is being disingenuous here because there is no such thing as feminism per se as a monolith. It, within feminist studies, there are countless uh, allegations that, 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 for instance, the feminists, the first and the second wave feminists, really were representing white, middle class, largely aff- affluent women and representing their interests, whereas 
uh, what will be called the womanist feminists, which are black uh, African-American feminists, are saying, you don't even speak for us. You say you speak on behalf of women. Really, you just speak for your particular group. So they don't actually represent women, even they represent a particular uh, niche of women. And I I note that uh, even today when the real uh, women's rights issues uh, emerge. So let's let's talk about wearing the niqab. Uh, let's talk about um, gender side. Those are real women's issues. Do we actually? Where are the feminists? I well, hear no, crickets. Hey, I yeah, hear crickets. Well, you're right. You're right about that. Uh, but to the point, and to just draw it back into focus. Are men right about that? And they need greater representation on college campuses. They feel less than welcome on many of these campuses, and as a result, yep. are being disproportionately underrepresented. Uh, fewer men are going into post-secondary education as a consequence, says the report. If I could just respond to this idea of it being a zero-sum game, because having been to a lot of these these events, these uh, controversial events, there's there's a lot of women there. I mean, there's even women among the, the leadership of, of these organizations True. that I that I, I know pretty well. And um, the idea that it is men versus women, it's a zero-sum game, battle of the sexes, that's just not, not quite how it works. What, what, what is being asked is that if we're looking at, say, gender in the workplace, why are we only looking at areas like um, uh, the, the pay gap, which is a, a, a genuine area, but we're not looking at, say, workplace fatalities. We're not looking at, uh, at who gets hurt on the workplace. They tend to be overwhelmingly men because men are going to the more dangerous jobs, which happen to pay better because they're more dangerous. Right, There's a context here that is being ignored. Is uh, there uh, a culture of feminization on uh, college and university campuses. I'm not sure I'd state it that way. I definitely think that in some departments, there are uh, paradigms, there are ideologies um, that deny academic freedom, that make it very difficult to question um, the, the reigning orthodoxies. And, and that, to me, is, is the, bigger, the bigger problem. I'm not sure I'd call that feminization. No, I wouldn't call it pe- feminization. I would call it pomosexuality. Not that it, there is a, an idea that uh, sex and gender can be whatever we call them to be as long as they aren't the dominant male hierarchy thing. So there is an assault on masculinity in its traditional form without a doubt. And it comes from a whole bevy of perspectives, whether it's gay, bi, lesbian. Are they bastions of liberal progressivism? Uh, yes. All right. Well, let's see what Alex has to say. Alex, do you think there's a call for men's study groups and such? Absolutely. Um, I, I went to York University. I graduated, graduated last year. I can tell you right now, I had a TA last year say that 50% of men, if 50% of men had the opportunity to rape a woman and get away with it, they would. And this is just a microcosm example of the overall picture. Um, if you have a particular view or opinion and it doesn't align with this feminist mu- movement, you're absolutely ostracized. Yep. It's unbelievable. And, 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 and it's stri- I think it's mostly in the liberal arts and professional studies mm-hmm. um, sect in universities, but it's absolutely prevalent. Right. I, I, I agree. I look, I'm a downtown pastor, and I can tell you that my congregants uh, who've gone through these universities will echo exactly what the caller is saying. They are, they are uh, havens for cultural Marxism. If you are a white male or if you just simply disagree with the paradigm being expressed, you're, you're not going to get a good grade. You're not going to go forward as an academic in any respect. But notice the irony of the caller's observation. And again, it's yeah. just an, one experience like, like the first caller. But it's this essentialist notion that uh, to a lot of, of radicals, uh, on, on the feminist side, and not, mostly not radicals, but to some of the radicals, men are by nature essentially bad, corrupt, evil, uh, perpetrators of violence. This is exactly the kind of essentialist, dualistic, um, uh, 
thinking that many feminists have tried to deconstruct in order to provide a more contextualized understanding okay, of so it's a power, the differences it's a between men play. and it's women. A, it's Essentially, it becomes move. very simple when it's about making men uh, the, the abusers. Right, but then the, the reality is that this power play has been very effective. So feminist voices and feminist policies have been implemented all across the curriculum in, in, in from childcare to social benefits to the law and elsewhere. You say that it's disingenuous. I agree with you, but now we have a society that has been tilted in that mm-hmm. direction and and adv- ad- gives advantages to those that push these positions. And how do you get them out? Well, uh, that's a good question. So is it uh, kind of a, well, tit-for-tat scenario where men's, want, uh, men's uh, activists and uh, advocates want study groups, uh, more inclusion in the curriculum and the way it's made up? Because they feel now that the pendulum has swung too right. hard in the other direction. Right. Uh, let me grab the last word from Dave in 10 seconds or less. Dave, what do you make of it? Men's study groups necessary on campuses? Well, I, I don't think so, John. And what I think, what, I, what I'm hearing here is really a chauvinistic attitude, in my opinion, towards how men think about the loss of power. Huh? Well, well stated in less than 10 seconds. That's all <laughs> this is. Reflective of a man's perception of a loss of power. That's all this is, a chauvinistic attitude. So men study groups, not mm-hmm. necessary, but men are whining now because they don't have it as good as they used I to have. I don't think introducing context and asking that new perspectives be allowed to speak, if, if that's all it was, then why would there be such immediate hostility and oppression to put down new voices? What, Good point. What, what's, what's to be afraid of? Well, you guys have ended on the same uh, sort yep. of a collegial kind of agreement uh, here, so it's an amen corner. I appreciate it all. Uh, a great discussion this morning. Dr. Scott Masson, Associate Pastor at the Westminster Chapel in Toronto, and Justin Trottier, Spokesperson for the Canadian Secular Alliance. We'll do it again real soon. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share it with friends, but do not charge for or alter the material in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. Thank you.